All right. Hey, open in your Bibles, if you would, please, to Luke chapter 1. And we've got a little bit of a hunk of scripture to read here. Um, So bear with me. But before we look at it, so go ahead and turn to it. But before we read our passage, I've got a pop quiz for you. So once you find it, don't look at your Bibles. I've got a pop quiz for you. If uh, somebody stopped you on the street or a friend or a coworker or something and said, hey, what's, what's uh, at the beginning of the gospel of Luke? What, what, what's at the beginning of the gospel? Could you, could you answer that quickly? And it's not a trick question. I bet you could. You would probably say the birth of Jesus and you would be right. But um, here's another question. And this is where it gets tricky. Uh, Luke begins his gospel account by saying, okay, don't look down, but he says, he's writing to a guy named Theophilus, and he says that he wants to uh, produce an orderly account that we, the readers, right, might have certainty concerning the things we have been taught. That's why he's writing to this guy, Theophilus, and ultimately to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He wants to give us an orderly account that we may have certainty over the things we have been taught, gospel things, right? So here's the question. Where then does he start? It doesn't go straight to the birth of the baby Jesus. It starts in a different way. Um, And as we we said last week, I think that often we think of the nativity as uh, too isolated an event. We think of the baby Jesus, this wonderful thing happened. Yay, we celebrate it. It's a miracle. Everybody loves babies. But it fits into this giant story arc, is what we were talking about last week. Um, it's, it's, um, it's a meta-narrative. The advent of Jesus in this world is a part of a meta-narrative. Um, it's the story of God's redemption of sinners in his own way, in his own time, and for his own purposes. And so, uh, with those wonderful things said, uh, here is our main idea today, and then we shall read the passage. Here's our main idea. All history points to and is fulfilled in Jesus. It's important for us to remember that his advent, his coming into this world, is a part of a greater story. It's God's unfolding of his history of salvation of sinners. It all points to and is fulfilled in Jesus. That said, let's go to the passage. Chapter 1, verse 5, the Gospel of Luke. This is God's word. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people, the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John, which by the way means God has been gracious. And you will have uh, joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, 
How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, in other words, to come out of the temple, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Now skip to verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesied, saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let us pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, One commentator I was reading, um, I rather like this guy, he said that we cannot understand these events. He's talking about the nativity. We cannot understand these events, starting with John and Jesus, apart from the prior history of Israel. You get that? We cannot understand these events, these gospel events, this, this Savior's entrance into the world, this one who has come to prepare the way for the Savior. We cannot understand those events without understanding Old Testament history. And I think that that is probably a foreign thought to a lot of Christians and even a foreign thought to entire denominations. I think people go, ah, eh, the Old Testament, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of served its purpose. We don't really need it anymore. In fact, why even print it in the little New Testament in Psalms? There's a, there's a whole Bible translation. Wycliffe is wonderful, uh, except for recently they've kind of made some big mistakes. But anyway, um, but they don't, you know, they just, it's New Testament and Psalms. They kind of go, oh, Old Testament, whatever. But ladies and gentlemen, um, there's a plan of salvation 
right? You've heard people say that there's a plan of salvation. There is, but I think when people think of the plan of salvation, they think of the how-to. Like, what do you pray? Or what are you supposed to think? Or how do you present it? And the person receives Christ. That's the plan of salvation. But really, ultimately, the plan of salvation is that God came up with a way to save sinners. And God took the wild stallion of history and he bridled it and he made it go the way he wanted to and to produce a savior from the people he wanted to at the right time, in the right language, in the right place, uh, in exactly the right way. So uh, that's our context. Let's move to our first point, which is a people prepared. And uh, you may or may not know that I got that right from verse 17. Uh, John was sent um, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. All right, so Luke's gospel, his account begins fittingly um, with the impossible. In verse 7 of our text, uh, it says that um, uh, uh, Elizabeth and uh, Zechariah had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years, okay? Now, that would be like the Carmen's put on the prayer list, Beverly's pregnant. Huh? That'd be a shock, wouldn't it? To, to everybody. Now, can you imagine? They've got, they've got a, the double whammy. Number one, they're both too old. And number two, they never were able to have kids in the first place. All right? So, um, and, but there was something comely as well. Verse five, it says um, um, that uh, Elizabeth was a, a wife from the daughters of Aaron. All right? So you've got Zechariah, who's a priest, and uh, he's married to the daughter of priests. So you've got a priestly stock. That's a good little situation. There was one other thing that was important about them, and that's in verse six. It says that they were both righteous before God. Now, what does it mean that they were both righteous before God? That, that trips some people up. They go, oh, well, does that mean that they, they earned a, a, a view from God? God looked around and said, oh, those two, they're just so wonderful. Um, they have really impressed me, and so I'm gonna send John the Baptist to them. Is that what that means? No. Um, it, it's akin to this. It's, this. This is what it says in Job chapter 1, verse 1. Listen. Job was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Same kind of a description. Um, feared God, turned away. He was blameless, upright. Does that, does that mean that, uh, that, that Job uh, made God stand at attention? Not at all. How about this? In chapter 2 of uh, Luke, it's, it talks about this guy, Simeon, this guy who was waiting in the temple. He was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. All those things are saying, and the same thing with, with uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. All it's saying, ladies and gentlemen, is that they were believers like you and me. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you? Do you? I mean, have you submitted yourself at the, at the foot of the cross? It simply means that they're believers. Now, did they know that there was going to be a Roman form of execution called crucifixion? No. But what did they believe? They believed the God of promise. They believed the promise of the God of promise. Just like you and me. So how were Old Testament sinners saved? You've heard me say many times, we look back in history to an event that happened on the cross. We look at, it, at Jesus who was crucified for us. We look at this substitutionary curse bearer, the one who took the punishment for us, the one who gave us his righteousness. We look back on this saving event. Old Testament saints, like you and me, looked forward to this event. 
Did they specifically know exactly how it was going to unfold? No. But they did the same thing that we do. We believe the promise. We look back on the cross. Listen, lots of people look back on the cross. All of human history looks back on the cross. We do our calendars by looking back on the cross. Lots of people look back on the cross. But we do it with a saving faith. What do we believe? The promise of God. We believe that God provided Christ as Savior. They look forward to it, believing that God would provide a Savior. And so, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Job, Simeon, David, Old Testament saints, Abraham, believe God, it was credited him as righteousness. It's, it's, it's justification by faith, the same thing. Now, um, but, but God is the one who is moving all the chess pieces, is the point. Look at verse 8. Here's the story. Zechariah is serving as priest before God when his division was on duty. According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot. Um, That was a one-week stint for him twice a year. And what they would do is they would draw lots and they would go, hey, Zechariah, it's your week and uh, you get another week somewhere else in the year. And so what he does is he goes in there and he lights incense in the temple. He serves God in that way in the temple. And why? Why? Well, you know, in verse, at the end of verse 17, I showed you our point here. Um, ultimately, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared, okay? That's the whole point of John the Baptist coming on the scene. The whole multitude of people are praying outside, and something happens in the temple. And uh, he has a vision, and this angel comes, and the angel's got a message that this baby's going to be born. Why? To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we should pause in holy wonder over that. And we can apply that right away. Um, Live your lives as Christians with a sane perspective. We're not here in this life to amass treasures and comforts. It's great that we're blessed. It's great. It's great. You know, it's really cold outside. We're nice and warm in here. We can celebrate that. It's good. Yay. But that's that's not the reason for living. What are we supposed to be? We're supposed to be a people prepared for the Lord. And that's the main focus of every true saint. In fact, Tammy and I were talking about that this week. We were talking about, oh, we had just observed something. And uh, we, we, we had observed something. And we said, you know, as Christians, we, we, just, we just observed the same thing in a different way. And we were talking about what, what our perspective was as, as Christians. I said, you know, everywhere I go, I mean, I, I drive down the road on the way to church in the morning, and I, look, I see the sky, and I think, God, you made that. And I go outside, and I feel the air, and I think, God, you made that. And I see a little baby, and I think, God, you made that. And I, I, I just go through life, and I think, God, you, you made that. You ordained that. You're here. You did this. You did this. Do you do that too? Or do you just drive around in some bubble? Boo, 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 boo. Or is, are, you, are you just blown open with, with this, this, this saintly perspective? where you say, God, you're in charge. God, you did this. God, you'd own this. God, you're orchestrating this. You're moving the chess pieces, oh God. Is that your perspective? You know, I don't do it perfectly. We don't do it perfectly. We don't do it every single second. But in the main, isn't isn't that what it is to be a Christian? To go through life and to realize that God's fingerprints are on everything? Am I right? I wish somebody, I wish like everyone was going... That you're not doing that, you scares me. Are you are you feeling me? Okay, praise God. Um, but but moment by moment, that's our. He, he, God is on the forefront of our minds. You know, 
this is, I'm straying from my notes slightly, but you know, in my office, um, you can kind of sort of hear through the walls every once in a while. And um, I, I think John Otley probably hears me clipping my fingernails in there. And I know you go, ew, gross, that's disgusting. You know what? These are short and these are long. And these have to be a certain length. And um, I'm playing a classical guitar, not a steel string guitar. I'm, I'm, I'm strumming a steel string, but I'm plucking a classical. And these fingernails have to be this length to, for that to be successful for me. And so I'm clipping and filing. This one's short. This, these are short. These are long. I'm clipping and filing. And I've even, in a pinch, almost gone to a nail shop and gotten a fake nail put on because I broke a nail. <laughs> now, friends... That may or may not be part of your regular job routine. But when I'm in there, I've thought about it a million times. When I'm in, in my office and I'm doing this before a rehearsal, I'm thinking people would th- walk in and think, oh, what a lazy slob in there, you know, just doing his grooming. And I'm like, do you not know that this is worship for me? It's, it's an act of service. It's a strange act of labor that no one, until this moment, I, I'd never even spoken of it. But, but I'm saying to you that as a Christian, your whole perspective changes. Even sanding your fingernails uh, has, has this otherworldly perspective to it, even the simple things in life. All right, um, let's move on. Verse 18, Zechariah says to the angel, how shall, I, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And, and the angel says, well, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Uh, uh, here I am in the temple. So angel, presence of God, I'm meeting you in the temple. Pretty trustworthy uh, messenger, I would say. And uh, he says to Zechariah, um, behold, you'll be silent and unable to speak until uh, the day that these things take place because you didn't believe my word. And, and, you know, we go, wow, that seems a little harsh. I mean, he is going, what? I'm an old man. How am I supposed to know this is going to happen? And, you know, uh, why does the angel do this? Was it kind of a gut reaction? What was the point of all that? Well, what was Zechariah to learn? Or what are we to learn? Um, First off, let me tell you, if you were going to make up a religion, you wouldn't include this story, would you? You wouldn't go, oh, yeah, yeah, and the angel made him, uh, he couldn't talk. uh, And we go, what? Well, that's not good for the brochure. Um, it only validates the reality of what happened, right? And uh, you, you have the seemingly obscure priest. He loses his influence uh, for a momentarily a lapse of belief and all that. What are we supposed to learn from this? I think this. We are to take God at his word. And one writer called the, Go- the Gospel of Luke this. I love this. The Gospel of Knowing for Sure. Like I cited that at the beginning. Don't you like that? That Luke is the Gospel of Knowing for Sure. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we can know for sure. We can trust the word of God. I rather like that. We can know for sure that the great gospel secures us, and we should not doubt that God is good on his word. And so to close out the scene, here's what happens. Verse 21 and following. You're going to be silent. The people are waiting for Zechariah. They're like, "Uh, where is he? He's not coming out. Something's going on in there. They're kind of worried about him. And out he comes, and he's motioning to them and uh, making signs and so on. And by the way, it is fairly popularly believed, and I think probably too, that he's making signs and all that, um, that he was probably deaf too. So he's unable to speak, 
Um, they're asking, he's making signs. There are just a lot of people think that it's mute and deaf. But whatever the case, uh, when his time of service was ended, he, he, goes, he goes home. Now, moving on to the next point, um, a gracious God. Uh, look at verse 57 and following. And again, you know um, that, that the name John means Jehovah is gracious. And so, uh, verse 57 and following, it says uh, the time for Elizabeth uh, to, uh, comes for her to have a baby, and her neighbors and relatives hear that the Lord had shown mercy and so on. And, uh, and the story goes, as we read, they say, hey, what are you going to call him? And uh, she says, John, obediently. We're going to call him John. And they go, what? Are you kidding? There's not another John in your family. What are you doing with this crazy John? Why not this? Why not that? And, and uh, they say, Zechariah, what do you want to call him? And he goes, give me a tap, not an iPad, but he gets, he gets some kind of thing. And he writes down, his name is John. And at that moment, something changes. And what happens is, his mouth is opened, verse 64, his tongue is loosed, and he speaks, blessing God. And what happens? Word goes bananas. They're like, Oh my goodness, we can't believe now suddenly he can talk at this at this at this statement that Jehovah is gracious. Wow. He he said they're going to name him Jehovah is gracious and the word goes all over the place and uh it, and John's popularity skyrockets. He hadn't even he's 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 uh he's hadn't been born yet. And um at that moment, ladies and gentlemen, um what we see here is a Zechariah with a settled heart. He doesn't get his voice back and start grumbling, does he? He doesn't go, well, finally I can talk again after God did that thing to me. That's not him at all. Uh, In fact, it's this moment of deep belief. He writes, Jehovah is gracious, and then joyfully starts exclaiming. He doesn't grumble. He's not sour. He's not divisive. He's not drumming up support. It's as if he's about to burst with joy. He gets his voice back, and out it comes. And uh, so all to say um, for us, application, what did the naming of his son show that Zechariah had? It showed faith fleshed out. He had a moment of doubt, I think, I think the robbing him of his ability to speak was a gift. Uh, and he got it back and he was appreciative. But take a lesson. He wasn't able to speak for over nine months and the first words out of his mouth were praising God. That should be a lesson for us, friends. That God allows something to come into our lives and um, you don't want to waste it. Um, you, you don't want to curl up into a, a ball of bitterness and let that crawl all over you. Um, rather, um, it's a time of learning. It's a time of, of understanding. It's a time of, of developing faith. Uh, and that's, that's what God produces here. Who, who, needed, to, who needed to know uh, how good Zechariah's faith was? God? No. Zechariah did. And uh, he gets his voice back. And what he does is uh, has, a, 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 has joy of heart and freedom uh, of soul. All right. Next point, last point, a mercy remembered. Um, verse 67 and following, uh, you see that Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesying. Um, so he gets his voice back and the Holy Spirit fills him and gives him prophetic word. And this is what he says under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel 
for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation, salvation for us. I wish I could remember how many times, oh, I counted them. How many Old Testament references were, verse references were in here? I think it's over 50. I counted them, and I honestly, I can't remember the number. I think it's over 50 Old Testament references that you can go, oh, yeah, you can trace that here, and you can trace that here, and wow, that's also said here. It's just rich with Old Testament, and that's the point that all history points to and is fulfilled in Jesus. You can't understand these gospel happenings without the context of Old Testament history, Israelite history. It's all anchored in that. Uh, raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David, the kingly line of David. He spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. And listen, to show the mercy promised to our fathers. There it is, anchored in the Old Testament, promised mercy. By the way, look at verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that's what Zechariah is saying is, remember, God remembered his promise. God kept his word to our fathers, the kingly line of David. Abraham's in here, um, that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Verse 76 and following, um, you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercy of God. Mercy, mercy, mercy remembered, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Close with this. I've I've been saving this article. And uh, when is it from? It's from the Wall Street Journal, and it's probably six months ago or so. And uh, I've been saving it and saving it and saving it for Christmas. And... um, it's a story about this meteorologist. Here he is holding a rock. Look at him. He's a meteorologist. And um, the, the story is about this guy who gets thousands of calls. Apparently, you know, weathermen are meteorologists, all right? But this guy is like a guy who studies meteors, all right? So he's not a weatherman. He's a, he's a guy who t- looks at the rocks, okay? And um, thousands of calls per year. So that these meteorologist guys, these rock studying guys, have to set up a hotline. They can't field all the calls and, and, and emails. And they get boxes of rocks sent to them in the mail. And their message to everybody is, you don't have a meteor. Uh, in fact, they, call them, um, they don't call them meteorites. They call them meteor wrongs. <laughs> that people go, I, oh, I saw it fall from the sky. Look at this weird rock. I, t- I, prom- I know that this is a meteorite. And they keep sending them in, sending them in. And uh, they're going, that's not a meteorite, not a meteorite. Um, But here's what's so cool about it. Um, This this one lady says at the end, just imagine, uh, when they do get a real one, like this one, when they do get a real one, this lady says, just imagine, it's billions of years old, and it comes from so far away, and this little rock has managed to land on this earth, that blows my mind, and the fact that I can hold it in my hands is absolutely miraculous to me. Now, friends, think about this Savior. Think about the cosmos. Think about how many galaxies there are. Think about how many stars there are. Think about how many planets there are. And this Savior comes from on high 
and divests himself of glory. He sets it aside. He withholds his rights and privileges. He withholds his consummate power to become a human being and live like us, to taste our sadness, to know what it is to be human, to know what it is to be hurt, betrayed, let down, sinned against, tired, weary, hungry, saddened, full of grief, full of anguish, full of anxiety, or any of those things, things that we struggle with, you struggle with. The Savior has come to taste those things, to live what it is to be human, and yet never sin. Withhold temptation, withhold temptation, never sin. Live the perfect life so they could lay it down for sinners. He did that coming all the way from heaven to this tiny little planet. And you've heard me say this before, but I, I, I love it when, when the clergy think themselves open-minded, when they, think, they say things like, who are we to say there's not other life forms out there? I mean, who are we to say that uh, we're the only ones in this giant galaxy? We're pretty high-minded, we humans, to think that there's, there's not other life out there. <laughs> so open-minded am I, clergyman. And I want to go, you know what? Yeah, that's cool. That, that's cool. That's, actually, that's a pretty rudimentary observation. But let me, let me give it to you this way. Wouldn't it be more like our God to create an unbelievably expansive cosmos and fill it with all kinds of planets and all kinds of stars and all kinds of stuff. And then there's this one strange little speck and, and we're it. And the Savior came down just like that to die for individual little it's. Wouldn't it be... Wouldn't it be just like the grandeur of grace where, where, the, where the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms in Ephesians 2 look on and they go, Ephesians 3, they look on and they go, what? Is this what grace is? How would we have ever understood God's grace if it weren't his grace poured out on these tiny little seemingly insignificant creatures created in his image, rebelled against him, and yet he loves them still? Is that not a gospel to grip, ladies and gentlemen? Is that not a thing that should change your perspective, not only as you move through this Christmas season, but as you move through life where you say, my God and Savior ordained that. My God and Savior is behind the scenes here. My God and Savior is present with me now. My God and Savior has promised to work all things together for my good because I'm loved by him and called according to his purpose. My God has plans for me with an expected end that are good. Isn't, isn't that something for your heart to grip? That's the good message of the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. The Savior came to save sinners, to redeem all things, and uh, we can be sure about this sure gospel. Let's pray. Our Father, <clears throat> we, we praise you. And uh, we marvel that you suffer long with us, and we marvel that you pour out grace upon us. We don't deserve it. We rebels, we little specks, um, we little specks on a speck, on a rock in space. And yet the Lord of glory um, made himself like us. And uh, we're just in awe, Lord. We're in awe. And we pray that this Christmas season would not um, blow by too quickly, where we would not... um, gain a clearer perspective of the arc of the story and how we fit into your story and how there's a grand conclusion of which we are a part. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Merry Christmas, y'all.